0: This episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast is brought to you by Templates for Fashion, an online marketplace where you can buy or sell digital fashion templates like fashion flats, brushes, repeating patterns, and more. Most files are just a couple bucks, and everything is vector and editable in Adobe Illustrator. Check it out at templatesforfashion.com and use code SFD for $5 in free downloads today. This summer for the podcast, we are throwing it back to episodes you love. So I reached out to all my listeners and email subscribers and asked you, what are your favorite episodes and why? Today's episode with freelancer Heather Royer originally aired in January 2019, and it's all about how to be a freelancer and work directly with factories as opposed to working with the brands. Multiple people nominated this episode, so I'm super excited to have you listen to it. And I'll just share one quick shout out to Beatrice, who said, I really enjoyed this because it opened my mind to other pop possibilities other than the nine-to-five job. With confidence and enough experience on your, under your belt, one could do the same. Thank you, Beatrice, for the nomination, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as Beatrice did. Hey, everybody. This is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 78 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Heather Royer. Now, Heather Royer started out working as an employee in the fashion industry and then created a freelance career path for herself, which then turned back into full-time work but she got to do it all remote. Now, there's a lot of different paths to becoming a freelance fashion designer, and Heather's path is one I've never heard of before. Here's the interesting thing about how Heather started. Instead of working directly with brands, she got her first freelance opportunity through a factory in China. And the best part, there are ways you can create the same freelance opportunities for yourself. In this interview, she shares step-by-step her best advice to do this. In Heather's 20 years of experience in the industry, she's worked for brands like Target, L.L. Bean, REI, and Talbots. She now runs a team of nine full-time fashion designers located around the world while working remote from her home in South Florida. And it all started with one freelance gig from LinkedIn. In this interview, Heather's going to talk about the one simple change you can make to your LinkedIn profile to attract brands or factories who are looking for freelancers, how to turn one freelance project into many so you can get more work, and what brands are looking for when they're interviewing and hiring freelance fashion designers. I know you guys are going to love this podcast episode. Now, as always, if you do enjoy the Successful Fashion Designer podcast, I would like to ask you a favor. If you can share this episode or the podcast in general with one person in your network, in your coworkers, in your group of friends, share it with one person who you think would find value in the podcast. I know they would be really grateful and I would be really grateful. The best way to get people listening to the show and to get more ears on this amazing content that has been life-changing for some of you, I know because you've emailed me your success stories is for you guys to share the show with others. So I would be super grateful if you could take 30 seconds right now and share the podcast with someone who you think would enjoy it. All right, let's jump into the episode with Heather. Before we do that, you can always access the show notes and any references that we make in the interview will be linked directly at sfdnetwork.com slash 78. Here we go. Welcome, Heather, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Uh, can you start out by introducing yourself and letting everybody know who
1: you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Sure. My name is Heather Royer, and I am the vice president of Weihai Luda. Um, I run a company for the design team on the U.S. side. My um, company is Chinese-owned. My boss has uh, over five Chinese factories and then we also work with other factories so it's direct from China but also building the in-house design team in the US which is new Okay. So it's been it's an exciting time, a lot of growth. Yeah, cool. So
0: I want to hear like all about the nitty gritty of like how this is actually structured because you and I have chatted about this earlier and it's a pretty unique arrangement you have set up within your company. Um, but can you rewind a little bit and give us a quick overview of how you got started in the industry and, and what
1: that all looked like from the beginning? Sure. Um, I started actually as a in an early age, in 4-H. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar (laughs) with that, but it's definitely more like farm and sewing based. But I started making clothing at about seven, eight years old, but I didn't like the patterns. So I started learning how to make patterns and how to do that. So that was my very, very first kind of start into fashion. By high school, I was trying to decide if I wanted to be a park ranger or fashion designer. So I went and worked for uh, the Park Service in Alaska building hiking trail, and then also took some fashion classes, and fashion was much easier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Those are two really different paths.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then I ended up going to Rhode Island School of Design, and also taking some coursework at Brown. Came out of school there and went to work for a company doing kids' outdoor clothes. So it sort of blended a little bit of both of my loves. And I did things for LL Bean, REI, EMS, some of the outdoor stores. And we also had domestic production. So it was a great, great first job because I really could see the um, ins and outs of everything. I was just the assistant, bottom of the barrel, but I was able to, you know, see the, see the supply lines work with the stitchers cut out patterns um grade patterns really got a good exposure to all different kinds of um parts of the industry so that was great first job
0: yeah and when was this
1: like what's our rough
0: timeline here that was 1997 okay gotcha so you've been in this for a good long time yeah over 20 years yeah and so then what happened
1: uh, I ended up working for a few other companies. I worked for Cowood. I worked for a small company doing private label women's sweaters for Talbots. And then I worked for Target for about eight years in various different roles. That's when I really started to get into accessories. Went to work for a vendor at that point. And then I moved back to Florida because I'd been living in Minnesota for 12 years. So that was a big change having grown up in South Florida, moved back to help help with some family situations. And then I started freelancing and that was the first time I had ever really freelanced before I'd always worked for other companies.
0: Okay. So I want to really talk about like that transition going from working as an employee to working freelance. Like how
1: did that all get started? What did that really look like? Um, I I was really happy with where I had worked before, but I couldn't stay in that location anymore. I needed to be close to my family, and there really weren't a lot of jobs down here in South Florida. Um, So I really started working on my portfolio, kind of brushed up on some of my skills. I started doing just some projects on my own to show some of my newer skills and branch out. I started a jewelry line. Uh, that kind of gave me an idea of what it would be like to do some of the business portions myself. And then one freelance gig really started to grow and started to become bigger and bigger and bigger until it was my only client full-time. And then I went from hourly to full-time to ongoing full-time and then it just grew from there.
0: But where did that first freelance opportunity even come from? Because I think there's a lot of people listening who, you know, maybe working in the industry and maybe, you know, have have as much experience as you or not even as much, maybe five years, three years. And they want to do this freelance thing. But it's like sometimes it's hard to even get that first opportunity. So where did that even come about?
1: yeah that was the hardest part for me because I am not that comfortable with networking like I'm friend <laughs> I have my I have my industry friends and as long as I can think of it as these are my friends these are my true friends we'd hang out outside of work anyway then I can kind of get myself over that networking hurdle but this first gig came from Uh, contact on LinkedIn that I had worked with at Target before. And Mm -hmm. they were the first US employee of the Chinese company that I work for now. So he was not on the design side, he was more on the business development side. And he had tapped me to do some projects because he knew what I had done at Target from about like five or six years before.
0: Okay, so he reached out to you on LinkedIn? Yes. Ah, okay. And, um, Do you think that there was anything you had like he just knew you and reached out directly or do you think there was anything you had done strategically within your profile or how you kind of were presenting yourself that might have given him a a clue or tapped him
1: on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm here available for work? Yes, it's very simple. I put freelance or freelancer in my title because he said he was having trouble finding freelancers because a lot of them listed their own company Mm. or their own design house and he couldn't necessarily search it. And he couldn't tell if they were, had their own line and, you know, they weren't necessarily interested or if they were really looking for freelance work. And he said mine was so simple because it just, I had my company, but I also said freelance or freelancer in, this, in, the, um, in some search fields that popped up.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Um, sometimes it's just be simple and clear and easy instead of packaging yourself up as some bigger company, which no one's yeah. going to find you searching for.
1: Yeah, because in this situation, this guy was fairly new to this area, and so he wasn't really sure he needed it to be a little bit more spelled out, too, so it was really helpful that it was that clear. Okay.
0: And explain a little bit more that specific arrangement with him, because you told me a little bit about it when we had a previous conversation, but for people out there listening, can you explain a little bit more how that working relationship with him was run? Because it's an interesting arrangement.
1: Yeah, I, I hadn't freelance before. So I actually asked one of my old bosses what who had freelance and he kinda gave me tips on how to bill it, how to figure out the hourly rate, things like that. So he helped me. At first, I wrote up a contract based on the project because I kind of knew how fast or how slow I'd be at different things. Mm-hmm. So and I had to propose this to um, the Chinese owner via email. Like I wasn't meeting him. Um, I only knew of him from target. I didn't know him personally at that point. Mm. So I wrote up a proposal that said, um, I think it was for cold weather, men's cold weather. I said, okay, men's cold weather. This is what I think you need. You need this many styles You need this much print and pattern, you know, this kind of trip, this trend trip, And then I broke it down by how much it would cost. And then instead of him negotiating me down on what my value and my worth was, he just took out parts of it that I just didn't have to do. Mm. So he's like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is my budget. I can't spend X, I can only spend Y. So he just took out different parts, which I thought was very respectful and a nice way to work through it because it wasn't belittling my value. but at the same time, it was respecting his budget. So I thought yeah. that that was a great way to work it out.
0: Yeah, that's great. And it's something, I mean, I definitely suggest that to people of, you know, if someone needs to come down on price, sometimes you can negotiate the scope of work. So it sounds like that's yeah. exactly what you guys did.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. And so so then that was your first project and so you design a men's cold weather collection and and it went well. Like talk a little bit about that and did you learn anything on that first project?
1: Um I learned what resources I had and didn't have and um, how long some of it took. I I mean my est- my time estimate was pretty good. But some of it was harder than I thought because being in South Florida, I couldn't really just go out to stores and shop for cold weather like I could in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I had to; I was more limited in some respects. But um, after that, it grew. He gave me some more and more projects, and it actually became bigger than I could even handle. So I. I started subcontracting some of my freelance work, which worked really well. And that really gave me an idea for how I was going to build this going forward. And um, some of it was subcontracted because I knew I could pay someone else to do it faster than I could. And I could still make money. And some of it was because I was so busy that I knew I couldn't do like 10 trapper hats in a day. But my buddy Adam could. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I would start to pull it all together and that became the catalyst for how I could see building this business further for them.
0: So you really took it from a freelance project that you were doing on your own to building and managing essentially a small design agency or design team, however you call it, to fulfill all the needs of of this client that you have.
1: Yep, three years. I have nine full-time designers now.
0: Ah, okay, God, there's so much to (laughs) dive into with this. It's so amazing. You literally turned one freelance project into this giant thing. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about this. So, uh, (laughs) first of all, I think that a lot of times... Freelancers. And and as we say freelancers within this conversation, I want to really be clear that we're talking about true independent freelance work. We're not talking about a two-month temp job where you go on site and work 40 hours a week in someone's office. So just to clarify uh, that. Um, okay. So and, and not just for you, but for the listeners out there. But like, because I think that what can happen a lot of times is a designer will get a freelance gig, they'll do the project, and then it just kind of disappears. Like they don't hear from the client again. So was there anything that you did within that first project that you think may have helped this turn into something bigger and more and keep snowballing?
1: Well, some of it was good and some of it was was something I had to course correct later. But (laughs) I gave it my all. Like if he gave me... A project that came in at 11:30 at night, and he said he needed it the next day. I did it. Yeah, I stayed up. If he, you know, he he started sending me on trips on a freelance basis, and I remember one time I got home at midnight, and he texts me, and he's like, "Target just called. We we want to expand on that bandana opportunity that you brought up. Can you give me a bandana print tomorrow?" And I was like, "Okay," and I did it, Mm. and I just. I just put everything into it. And then later I had to scale back and be like, I did that before. I'm not doing that again. I've gotten the ball rolling. Now it's time to start bringing on more people, but I'm positive that's why. Cause I would send them projects at three in the morning and he knew that I was dedicated and that I would get it done. And I was bringing up new business ideas to them too, because I had some of the background cause we worked with target. So for example, he's like, how can we get more business? And I said, well, bandanas are a big opportunity. It's pretty easy to set up the production line. He's like, it's another vendor. I was like, I know, but they change them. They can change them every three to four years. And so then he's like, okay, you put a project together. So then I would get another project from him and it just kept growing like that.
0: Oh, I love that so much. Two things. One is like, do a freaking exceptional job, like bend over backwards to really impress the client and super over-deliver um it does it goes so far so i'm so glad that that's kind of something that stood out and then i'm also glad that you like you said course corrected and said you know what i did this the first time like this obviously has to be a realistic working relationship like i'm showing that i'm here i will do it i will make sure the job gets done but yeah like a midnight to a 3 a.m turnaround is not very realistic for to sustain um and then the other thing too is proposing new ideas. Because uh-huh. I think sometimes as a freelancer, I think one of the values that companies want to see in you or, or, or get out of you is you're not there as, as an employee, just going day to day through the motions, but you're there kind of w- coming up with new ideas, suggesting new things. And even if it's not the best idea or if it's not the right direction, show them that your, your brain is thinking and that you're seeing things and you're initiating some stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and my friends helped me too. So if he, was, if he was like, okay, what about this competitor? What do they have that we don't? If I didn't know, I'd call up my friend or text my friends and be like, hey, do you know what the design team is like in this competitive, you know, in this company that's our competitor? Mm -hmm. And then I could kind of share some of the insights, too, that he just didn't have the access to.
0: Mm. And that was just because of the network you had built over the years. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, So... So you, you do an exceptional job, you initiate ideas that ultimately turn into more projects for you, which is great. And then when does it get to the point that you are like, I, me as a single individual cannot handle this entire workload?
1: Well, I should have said it sooner (laughs) (laughs) because it was probably about two years of Uh. get up, get ready, work all day, take an hour for dinner go back to work, go to bed at like two for a lot probably, of work. yeah. But it, now I'm working on a budget that is based on business opportunities and then working back the budget for what we should be spending for freelance and full time. And I think that that sort of structure will really help because then it's less about perception and more about hard facts of business.
0: Okay. So, so, okay, we'll get to that in a minute, but I I first want to understand a little bit more because I think, um, so you're working a ridiculous amount of hours, which on some level you're like, wait, is this really the freelance lifestyle I signed up for? Um, and so how did you even like to me it's it could feel a little scary for some people to think okay well now I'm going to outsource some of my workload. How do I know it's going to get done right? This is you know I'm really the one holding all the balls, making sure nothing drops and now I'm going to have to rely on other people and start building a team which can feel a little bit intimidating. Can you talk a little bit about that that part of the process? Yeah, the
1: yeah. Um, we just took it slow. So if I was outsourcing some of my work at first, I sent it to people that I knew I'd send them a little teaser and be like, can you do something like this? If I wasn't sure, or I give them just a small project to try it. Like I'd still pay, pay them for the small part of it. So if I had like icons to design for a hat and I had 20 icons, I give them two and see how it looked. Mm -hmm. And then if they did good, I'd be like, Oh, by the way, can you do more? Yeah. And then, if I was thinking about them as full time, I tended to um, be partial to people that were freelancing because they could work for me. Like I would sign them with a like a full time contract for a limited time and see how they did, and then roll it out. So it was definitely a long process. But then by the time we got full time people, it was really good. But the majority of them I knew from my past somehow, either a friend of a friend or I used to be their boss or just some sort of knowledge of them or someone vouched for them personally. Okay.
0: So everybody, pretty much everybody came from a friend of a friend or someone within a network. It was all relationship based.
1: Out of nine of them, there were maybe three that weren't, that we just placed ads or interviewed for. Where were you guys advertising? Uh, We did style careers. We did a um, style careers day that you um, go have a table and people stand in line and you do interview after interview. Mm -hmm. And then we we post on Indeed. And I, I also just work through my network. Like when I go to meetings with customers I'm like okay I can't hire from your company but do you know anybody so one of my cold weather designer actually found her from a friend of a friend walking down the hallway outside of Target so I saw some of my Target friends I was like okay I can't poach from Target but do you guys (laughs) know anybody and one of the girls that I didn't even know her she was just like oh yeah my friend so-and-so she you know she wants to leave San Francisco she'd love it if she could work remote yeah and now all your people work remote all everyone on your team um I work remote. I have a designer in I have two designers in Minneapolis, one in Nashville, two work out of an office in New York, and then I have another remote in Denver. And then some of my freelancers are ongoing, so I have one in the UK as well. Okay. And when you were hiring for these
0: positions, um, when you did the ads and style careers and in Indeed and you were interviewing people, what were you really looking for um, in terms of of some things that maybe may, would make one person stand out versus another?
1: If they were freelancing, because it was really hard for us if they had a full time job, it was hard for us. To give them projects and really get a good read on if they could do it or not because they just didn't have enough time. Mm. But if there were two candidates, both equally qualified, and one was a freelancer and one was working full time, I tended to go with the freelancer because I could give them more stuff to try out okay. and see if they liked it and see if I liked it. So So that was, okay.
0: Yeah. And I mean, for someone out there who wants to become a freelancer, that's kind of a chicken and the egg
1: thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do that a lot because some of my, some of my freelancers that were just working nights and weekends are are like, can you give me more work? Because I'm thinking of going freelance and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want that responsibility. Yeah. Them like
0: quitting their job and now relying on you. Like that's such a scary balance.
1: Yeah. Because I know one of my designers did that. But it, it was a risk at that point. I was yeah. just giving her projects and then she's like, I'm available full time. I'm like, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay.
0: So besides freelance versus full time, as far as, you know, being a, a, an attractive for an employee or for someone for you to hire, what were some of maybe the qualities or the skills or like, what else were you looking for in these
1: candidates? Um, that they were easy to work with. I had to be able to work with them quickly and easily through email and less on phone. So they had, if they were available more, that was more helpful. But I also was very respectful if they said, I have 10 hours, I can give you a week. I'm like, okay, let's Mm -hmm. work with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the freelancers I tend to use more are the ones that send me little notes like, Hey, I have 20 hours available this week. If you have any projects like that keeps me top of mind Mm -hmm. for them and that they're just, they're quick. They're easy. I don't have to fix their work very much. If I have to fix it too much, then I probably won't use them again. Mm. Um, I, if I have, if I've worked with them consistently over time, I tend to favor them because then I know what they're good at and what would be better if I gave to somebody else. And the more versatile they are, the better, like we have two kids freelancers. They work probably 10 to 20 hours a week, but they get consistent work because they can do pretty much all of it. They do tech packs. They can do print and pattern. They can do graphics. They can do a lot of different things. So they tend to get more projects than someone that can only do bag tech packs, you know, so that's
0: versatility is key. Okay, so um, so good communication skills, just replying to emails and being available within mm. reason, assuming mm-hmm. you know, considering yeah. their their, their yeah. other situation. And yeah. um, I love the double checking their work thing. Like it's it's something as. As an employer, as a freelancer, you should really double, triple check your work before you hand it off because the person on the other end does not want to have to feel like they always have to check it and have mistakes and go back.
1: That's such a pain. Yeah. Um, Especially when then if the freelancer pushes back too, and they're like, no, I like it like that. You're like, "Mm."
0: (laughs) but this is I'm driving the project and this is what it actually has to be. Yeah. Um yeah, that's actually an interesting point though because I think there's a fine line between standing up for your work and what you believe in and just pushing back in a way that is does not work for the other person meaning you in this situation. So, can you talk a little bit about that balance as a
1: designer? Um Yeah. 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 As a manager, I try to explain when there's room for them to suggest something and when I'm like, this is what the customer wants. So I try to do that from a management side. But then my team also has learned what, what they can propose. Like I had a new designer. She was freelance. I just brought her on full time and she's like, I'd really like to improve our tech packs. I'm like, go for it. Show me, you know, show me one, do one first (laughs) and send it to me. We'll discuss. And then she went on to roll it out to a bigger area. So uh, it's it's a fine line. It's also just how you say it too. Because if she would have come in and been like, these are horrible. I can't believe we do this. The lines of communication would probably be a lot more shut down, but she was so gracious and pleasant about it that I was open to what she had to say and what she had to suggest. So I think it's how you say it. Going back to just
0: be easy to work with and nobody wants someone that just complains about how bad something is. Instead, think about, hey, I I see an opportunity for improvement. What do you think if I I maybe give one a try and and show you what I think we can do instead? Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's just the phrasing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um brilliant, brilliant. Um okay, so you have this team of 9 people and you are running them. Now you are working essentially exclusively with one client as a f- as you and your team as freelancers some people full time. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting arrangement. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit
1: about how it's structured? Sure. So each of us have our own LLC, our own business. And so we do our own taxes. So it's run as like our each individual businesses, but then we work for the, for the full-time people, we work for one client essentially. And then that one client, we do designs and build product for Target, Gap, Old Navy, Spencer's, you know, all these different companies within that umbrella. Okay.
0: And so the company that you work with is a Chinese owner and they have a factory and then they have, if I remember correctly from our previous conversation, they have the business relationships with these, these stores, these retail yes. outlets. Yeah. And so they have the sales and business infrastructure set up and then contract freelance, the, the design portion out to you and your team. Is that kind of right? Sort, sort of. It was
1: just me when I started in the U.S., so, I helped um, launch our New York office and then helped bring on someone that I had worked with in the past as our VP of sales. So, then we built that side of it too. And then we're building license licensed business as well. Okay. So, it, it's it, the, my part is mostly design, but my official title is also VP of design operations, because I have to put together a lot of the operations side as well, like setting up the FedEx account and everything from the very beginning. So even though it was a well-established company since the early 90s, the design side and in the in some of the US side was a startup, essentially. Okay.
0: And And you said earlier that how you have it structured now, um, and I'm I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I kind of, I wanted to go back to this point you mentioned of how you have it structured as far as, um, you know, initially you started out charging by project base and now you have it set up as like a business opportunity base. Can you talk a
1: little bit more about that? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm totally understanding. Now I just have a salary, a monthly salary. I don't go projects or hourly all our full time people are salary monthly, and then we have about ten to fifteen freelancers on a rotating basis, and most of them are hourly rate. Okay, gotcha.
0: You, ha- I thought you had said something earlier about um, something around structuring the business around creating new business opportunities in regards to compensation, but maybe I'm maybe I misunderstood that.
1: Hmm. We're getting there. We haven't quite gotten there yet. (laughs) So it's
0: interesting because it almost sounds now like it's come full circle from freelance into essentially a full-time job. I mean, you're working with one company. You've got a flat salary, um, but you are working independently. So can you talk a little bit about you know, like how how do you feel about that transition and where you're at now with everything and what maybe are some of the pros and the cons or, you know, what is the, what kind of freedom, freedom do you and don't you get? Because I think one of the things that's really attractive for a lot of people with freelance is, you know, the ability to travel and live where you want and work remote. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how that, that may or may not have changed for you with the transition from going freelance to now essentially full-time sort of monthly flat rate? Yeah,
1: I think I really like it because I wasn't that comfortable with trying to get new customers and new clients and building that. That was that was a challenge for me. And, and so this works well because I like the consistency and I know I don't have to worry about, you know, where's my next gig coming from or spending the time to build those gigs Um Another benefit is I get to live where I want to live, mm-hmm. even though there's not a ton of jobs down here. I thought that I would be able to travel more, but because I have, I have a studio set up um, that I work from, I need my samples and I need all my materials libraries. So it's hard to, because I, w- I was hoping like I could leave Florida, go to Vermont for a couple of weeks in the summertime. And that just really hasn't worked out like that because mm. I need so many materials. I need to send my team and, you know, I might need to send a designer in Nashville, a bunch of new materials that I have that nobody else has that I wouldn't be able to do. So that was a little bit of a, that was a bit of a disappointment because I'm really, I really need to be here when I'm working mm. because of the, you know, the, the materials and the samples that I need.
0: Gotcha. And so even during like tech pack season where you're three weeks on tech packs, it's, or during some time where you're waiting for the sample to send factory, uh, the factory to send samples back, it's, it's been hard to find those two or three week windows where you can leave and go offsite.
1: Yeah, I think for some of the other designers that work for me, that might be a little easier because they're just working on one category. But because I'm over all the categories, mm. I never quite can anticipate if they're going to need a uh, yarn for a cold weather product or, you know, a faux leather for a handbag. I, and I have everything here all organized. So that's it's, for for others on the team, it's probably easier. But for me, it's just been a bit of a challenge. Gotcha.
0: And do you have any contact or do you ever do like sales presentations or design meetings with the end customer? Are you really sort of firewalled from the, your intermediary? um, I don't know if you call him a boss or what, but the intermediary person that has all those relationships with Target, Gap, Old Navy and all those other companies.
1: Well, at first it was just me. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to all the appointments, either by myself or with the company owner at some points. And then once we brought on the sales guy, he would come with me and then once... Um, He was established because he knows so many people in the industry, like everyone. You walk down the street with him in New York and he says hi to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Once he was in place, then he started doing some of the meetings. But what we've done now, because it really got to be too much, like there was some months that I was home for two days because of the travel and the meetings Mm. on top of the other parts. What we've done now is we split it up among the designers. So I'm in charge of Old Navy. So I go... Regardless of the category, I go and do the meetings with Old Navy. And then one of my other designers, she's in charge of GAPS. So even though she's the kids' designer, she'll, do, she'll gather everything from all the other groups. And she's the point person there because she used to work for them. And then for Target, I go to some of those meetings. So we've kind of branched out and we have these little captains or committees kind of for some of the major accounts. And then... As we build sales, they'll probably um, take on more of that as well. But what we're seeing is a lot of customers, they like the co-creation. They like working with designers. They don't necessarily want to work with sales in mm. some cases because we'll sit down with them and I bring a handful of swatches and they show me ideas or I show them trend and they're like, we like this bag, we like that bag. And I pull out like my bag of tricks and I'm like, what about this one? And we start to <laughs> kind of develop as we're sitting in those meetings
0: so, and that's harder for so, a salesperson to do, obviously. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. Cool. Okay. So this is it's just so interesting. I've never really quite heard of an arrangement like you have put together here. Um, what, what are your plans for the next, like, six to 12 months? Are you guys trying to grow or, you know, what's on the horizon?
1: Yeah, we want to build some different businesses. So we want to build um, not just... Um, Private label, but we're also looking into a license or working on some of our own brands or building some ideas around those. Just kind of thinking of the company like an investment portfolio, whereas with your investments, you might have stocks, bonds, you know, different things like that. We're trying to diversify our own business Mm -hmm. and um, stay flexible with the tariff changes as well. Gotcha. Um, And what
0: you know, it, I mean, it's such an interesting opportunity that you've created for yourself. What, you know, mm-hmm. if someone out there is listening, who's been in the industry for a few years, and is like, wow, this sounds really cool. I'd love to kind of get the opportunity to be sort of that middleman between the factory and the brand and get to work freelance um, and or slash remote. And you know, who knows what it grows and builds into what, what would be some of the best advice you could give someone out there listening who might want to try to create a similar opportunity that you've created for yourself.
1: Well, I know particularly the China market. I don't I haven't worked as much in Bangladesh or India, so I would suggest if you know any factories to contact them um, and and see if they may be interested. I think the trick though is really making sure that they're that the factory side is willing to invest. Cuz what I've run into is the some of them just don't have that mindset and, and, you know, a factory is a factory. They don't think about you know, what it takes to build a design team, whereas I'm really, really lucky that my um, company owner realizes the benefits of that and is willing to put those resources together. Because I've talked to other people that they won't work for Chinese factories directly because they came on, tried this, but then they weren't given any support. They just were trying to do all of it there on their own. Um, so I would really be careful about vetting out who you know, how you know them. You know, think about up front what those resources might be that they're willing to put up um, and just the overall business because you don't want to get into something that, you know, you've worked your tail off for two years, but then they expect keep expecting that.
0: So explain that a little more. So like if I'm if I'm a designer, let's say I have some factories that I've worked with um, from my current job or from past jobs, what exactly would that conversation look like for me to talk with someone there and understand if they would be willing to, like, as you said, put in the investment of doing this? Like, can you can you paint that a little more clearly? I'm, I'm not sure I'm seeing exactly what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I would do it two ways. I would either just give them like sh- just strictly a project. Be like, okay, if you want my role to just to des- be to design cold weather knits, then that's one thing. But if you want me to help you build your cold weather business in general and use my contacts and some of my other factories, that's another thing. And I would really be like upfront with them about this is what I think it would take. If you want to approach, you know, if you want to approach JCPenney, because they probably don't have that many vendors right now. (laughs) uh, If you want to approach them and build their business, you're going to need these sort of, these types of resources. Are you willing to put that forward and clarify that up front and clarify what that budget might be and tell them what that might be? Otherwise I, I would just do it as a project. I wouldn't do it as a, building a business like what i'm doing now
0: okay so but it could it could look out it could start out looking like hey vendor i have got this great design skill set and all these resources to create this cold weather collection would you be interested in partnering or doing a project together where you pay me to design this now you've got this great assortment and a sample line to take to JCPenney or all these other places to potentially get them to buy into that is that right yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's essentially what you did, except the, the factory owner approached you on LinkedIn. Yes. Okay. Exactly. But if you exactly. wanted to go out there and pitch this yourself, that would be a direction to go.
1: Yeah. Because now on my LinkedIn, I have a lot of um, factories that have contacted me, partly because I have, you know, on my LinkedIn profile that we do accessories and jewelry and hair, you know, just different parts. So they've approached me as a factory. Mm. But if I ever wanted to do this on my own, that would probably be the first thing I would do is reach back out to them then and say, you know, my situation has changed. I'm now looking to build further business. Would you be interested? I've had success with this. We've grown, you know, this account, $7 million in the first five months of the year. Would you be interested in sharing that kind of success or something like that? Yeah,
0: I love that positioning it on the benefits, not just, hey, I can design and do tech packs for you. But like, what are the actual results? Because at the end of the day, they're a business, and they care about getting more business. So really outlining those tangible results, which at the end of the day is mostly, you know, more
1: revenue and sales. Yeah, but also being clear with them, once you get into the negotiations, how long things take. Mm. Because, you know, you can't just walk a trade show and then come home with some orders, You don't have a booth, (laughs) you know, you walk the trade show, you make the contacts, you know, you might get an appointment in a month and you might get an order in six months, you know, just really being clear with the factory of the lead times that it takes just to get a business started. Right.
0: To get those first few orders and then wait for those to sell through and then get return repeat orders. Yeah, it does. It takes time. Nothing happens overnight. Mm hmm um so really kind of educating them on what this process looks like and some of the the business structure of it
1: yeah and i didn't know all of this i reached out to people as i built it cuz i hadn't even freelanced before so i i just i always think about okay if i don't know the answer how can i figure it out or how can i learn who can help me sometimes it's a couple different people that this one person knows sales part of it and this other person knows the production part and if I talk to both of them I can kind of cobble it together and give a proposal to whoever's asking me Mm -hmm. so there's no there's no way I knew all of this I know a lot of it I know a lot more now but there's still every week there's some sort of new thing that I don't I just I don't say no to it I've had some designers they're like oh I don't feel comfortable with this which is fine but it limits what they can you know, what their opportunities are going to be, whereas I'm a little foolhardy in the sense that I'll try it. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, I'll figure it out. I'll get someone to help me. I help other people if they have a question, You, you know, it just... You pay it forward, and then they'll help you. <laughs> yeah, that was
0: actually going to be my next exact question is, you know, it sounds like you pretty heavily rely on a lot of the friendships and relationships that you've built over the years. And how do you sort of stay in touch with some of those people and and create a relationship where it doesn't feel like you're just always asking them, hey, help me with this thing. Hey, help me with this thing. You haven't heard from me for five years, but help me with this thing. Are you hanging out on LinkedIn? Or like, what is? how are you keeping that? air quotes network, but it really sounds like friendships and relationships. Um, so healthy and strong so that when you do need something,
1: you've got people to lean on. Um, some of it is on LinkedIn. Um, some of it is trade shows, like going to trade shows. Like for example, I went to magic about a year ago and I ran into a guy that used to be my vendor at another Chinese factory And we started talking, he's like, let me give you my personal email. And then it turns out he was leaving that company like a month later, and he emailed me and then we started talking. I was like, I actually need somebody in Shanghai, would you work for us? He's like, Oh, I'm so flattered. That's so kind, but I just took another job. But then he and I kept talking. And recently, he contacted me, he's like, Oh, now I'm working for a different factory, they have cold weather, I can help you with caps. So he he and I now have connected my fa- my company with new f- factories, which helps him. And it helps me. Hopefully we get to work together because I love him and I love working with him. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of that. Um, I, since I travel a lot, I try to use those trips because I've been working so much down here that I really don't have face to face friendships much in my new town here. mm-hmm but I figured I do have friends. They just don't live near me. (laughs) So for example, I have a trip to Asia next month and I'm planning to stop in Portland to see some friends on the way home. Some of them used to be my freelancers. One of them still works at Target, works remote. So I, I just try to make time for them. Um, I go to Minneapolis for work, and then I'll try to schedule like a happy hour, a dinner, coffee with people. Um, I'm planning a personal trip to Minneapolis so that I can see some of my old friends, which also happen to be, you know, contacts that I work with. So I, I just I try to make an extra effort, but it's also just because I like hanging out with them, and I don't have people down here, so it's. It's a nice benefit of work, but it's also the reason why I don't have too many people here. (laughs) So it's a little of both. But
0: so it sounds like part of it just comes naturally based on your personality type. But you also are mindful that, like, oh, I can pass through here and hang out with this person, or you know, just whatever you can kind of line up within your schedule based on where you're going to be. You know, ping that person and say hello.
1: Yep. And, and I ask them, who do you know who might need some work right, right now? What are they good at? You know, how can I help? And then people kind of know that too. So they'll reach out to me and be like, Oh, I just left this. So you know, this other place, I have time for freelance, like they know that I could be approached in that way, mm. which I think helps a lot too. In terms of them maybe knowing, hey,
0: if I have a, a transition between jobs, I can reach out to Heather and see if she has any work. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And that doesn't come and off doesn't, as like
0: too forward.
1: No, no. Because I'll, I'll try to mention it too. Or, you know, people reach out to me on LinkedIn. Like I had another um, lady that's like, I'm a freelancer. Here's my portfolio. I heard you hire freelance, And I said, how do you know? And she said, well, I saw a job. My friend saw a job posted for your company. And they weren't interested, but they passed it on to me. And she's like, and I asked around and you guys have a good reputation and you have a good reputation for how you work with your designers. So I thought I'd approach it.
0: Mm. Talk a little bit about that good reputation versus (laughs) what maybe you've heard from other people who have freelanced for elsewhere.
1: Um. I try to be friends with my team, not so, like not so personal, but I try to at least make it so that our working relationship is comfortable enough that if I have to give them less than positive feedback, it's not uncomfortable, it's not surprising, it's just something that comes from, you know, a place of kindness essentially and a place of wanting to improve their work. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. I think, too, I'm pretty artsy, so it's easier for me to manage creatives because that was a challenge working at Target a few years ago that Target had. I feel like they've improved a lot since then, but they, like upper management, they didn't know how to deal with (laughs) artists, deal with (laughs) creatives. It was a different, like a whole different subgroup of people that they kind of, And I had to learn how to, and because I'm part of that, I feel like I'm a little more just sensitive to it Yeah, and sensitive to, if people send you artwork, yeah, it's for work, but it's also part of them, you know, it's part of their passion, part of their personality. And just to be respectful of that and aware that people do this for the passion of it too. It's not just a clock in and clock out and just the respect for that level of art and talent.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Um, It's really impressive what you've been able to build um, and such a cool journey that your career has taken you on. Um, It's also clear that you have really put in major, major effort to get where you are. Um, So, you know, don't want to discount what you have built for yourself by working really, really hard and making sure you do a great job for your clients. Um, So, so many great lessons learned here. Um, I'd love to know if people wanted to find out more about what you do or connect with you online, what's the best way to do that?
1: Um, I'm on LinkedIn. They could just connect with me on LinkedIn. i I could just accept the connection and we can start a conversation that way. My contact information is also on there if they rather email me directly. So okay, I'm open to that. Yeah, very cool.
0: And I'll end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. And that is, what is one thing nobody ever asked you about working in the fashion industry that you wish they would?
1: (laughs) That it's not always glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can see the humor in that, it'll go a lot farther. Because Sometimes I'm dragging cases through dirty parts of, you know, the back of the world. And I, I, I kind of like that about it, that people think fashion could be this big, glamorous runway thing. And it's just not always like that. And I like the reality of that. Yeah. The authenticity of it. What do you love so much about that? Um, It just keeps it real. It just keeps it, you know, authentic. It's not just fluff and Malibu feathers walking down the runway. (laughs) It's clothes that people really wear. It's, you know, it's really a big part of people's lives that they might not even realize, wearing clothes, wearing accessories. Yeah,
0: no, that's cool. That's cool. It is important to kind of remember that every day it's not it's not the runway is this tiny percentage of it the rest (laughs) of it is the is the the real day the real clothes for real world people is the majority yep that's what i like about it yeah very cool awesome heather this has been so much fun to chat with you thank you so much for sharing your really cool story and all the great advice for everyone out there listening
1: sure thank you for having me i feel really honored
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you out there. Again, if you want to check out the resources mentioned in this episode or get in touch with Heather, you can do that at sfdnetwork.com slash 78. And last, I'll remind you, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, do someone in your network or one of your friends or one of your coworkers a favor and share the podcast with them. I know they would appreciate it and I would appreciate it too. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you in the next podcast episode.